0: the next several weeks. We may have an interruption or two, but uh, we are speaking of a topic that is uh, not just a sermon series, not really even just a sermon, but it's a part of our culture here at Northside. Uh, We're talking about being faithful, and and as we think about being faithful, what that means, it's uh, in this particular uh, series, we're talking about stewardship, really using God's gifts for God's glory. Now, I have to pause because stewardship is a loaded word. Anytime you hear the word stewardship in a church setting, what's the preach going to talk about? Money, right? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of the thing is that, that we've kind of associated stewardship with only money. And that is, that's a travesty. That's a terrible, uh, a narrowing because I think if you understand what stewardship really encompasses, it changes Everything about your life, when you stop seeing yourself as an owner and instead see yourself as a manager, as a a steward of all of God's blessings, we begin to think how we can use the blessings from God to be a blessing to God. And so that's what we're, we're talking about, and I make no apologies. We talk about stewardship on a regular basis at Northside because I think it's one of the most misunderstood topics and words in the church. But Northside has such a deep and rich history of good stewardship, and we want to maintain that, not just in our money. Certainly, that's a part of it. But in all areas of life, God has called you and I to manage certain things. There was a brilliant scientist, top of his field, and, and and he sort of surveyed all of the scientific accomplishments of the last 50 years and decided to go brazen as he was, audaciously into the throne room of God to have a little conversation with him. He said, God, we really appreciate all that you've done and, and all the, the world that you've created, but you know, mankind, we have gotten to a point now where we really don't need you anymore. I mean, we have almost mapped out the full gene." Genome of, of human DNA. We've getting to a point now where we can clone animals. And we're getting very close to being able to clone human beings. The technological achievements that we've made, digital and otherwise, the world's I- I getting increasingly better and better and more efficient. We're lifting more and more people out of poverty. All of these accomplishments. Yes, you got the ball rolling, but we really don't need you anymore. And God, God sort of stood back and said, "Huh, don't need me, huh?" He said, "Well." Uh, I tell you what. Why don't we have a, a little competition? If you think you don't really need me, how about uh, we create a human being? And uh, scientists said, "Well, I think we can do that. I just get enough DNA, you know, get the petri tradition and all that." And God said, "No, no, no. You make one like I made one, out of dirt." The scientist thinks about all those things and say, well, I think we do molecular composition of this and we pull this dirt over here and put it. So I think we can actually do that. You know, I, th- you know, how about we just go ahead and do that? And so the scientist bends down and gets a scoop of dirt and he picks it up and God says, whoa, 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 hold on just a second. Get your own dirt, buddy. <laughs> now, that is a that is a simple, silly story to prove a to 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 make a profound point. Nothing that you and I have is ours that did not come from God. In fact, the Apostle Paul, who's addressing a church with a lot of problems, and one of the roots of their problems is they did not understand this very important point. Turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 4, verse 2. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, if you're a guest here, if you, if you, or you just don't have a great, uh, Bible knowledge and understanding, if you just open that Pew Bible to page 1,222, it'll get you to the exact same spot. The main thing is that you're in the Word, okay? Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse uh, uh, I'm sorry, 4 verse 7 uh, reads like this. Now, Paul's in the minute, middle of sort of defending himself as an authority, talking about his role as an apostle, trying to teach and to reach and to impact this church that really wants to do things their own way and has suffered uh, the consequences for that. And in and, and verse chapter 4, verse 7 of 1 Corinthians, page 1,222, the apostle Paul asks... This simple question: What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? You see, we can understand intellectually, assent to the idea that God created everything. We understand that, but but the, sometimes we get a little prideful about what we have. Our influence, the things we've accomplished, the things we've built, the things we've amassed, the, the, the creativity that we've brought, the so problems that we've brought solutions to. And, and that gets us into the area of pride. And Paul comes back to helping us understand part, the key to being, uh, having a stewardship mindset, sh- sh- uh, stewardship mindset, understanding that everything you have. Is from God and it's a gift from Him. There is nothing that you have that is not God's and didn't start. In the mind of God. Go ahead and try to think of just one thing that didn't begin and start with the mind of God. Right now, you and I are breathing his air. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, the air is a little warm. and God could have cooled it down a little bit. But the the air that you have, that you and I share together, that we've been breathing and sharing in this moment, is his air. You realize, if you go about 50 miles straight up in the air, there's not going to be any more air. We're going to remove all the atmosphere. Why is it, do you suppose, that God created atmosphere? It's a gift. It's a blessing from him. And every day you can wake up and go. (gasps) See, I uh, uh, had a childhood asthma growing up. I went to the emergency rooms a few times. Let me tell you. You do not know the value of the gift of oxygen until you can't have it, until every breath is a strain, and just getting that next breath is a question mark. When you begin to breathe and understand that God's gift of a simple thing like oxygen, you understand that from the very basic elements. You, you this morning maybe got water out of the water fountain, drank some water in your coffee this morning, Where'd that water come from? It's the same water that's always been here. Virtually all the same water that God created in Genesis chapter one is still the same water that you and I are using today, The God, that God created this world that continually cycles the water and cleans it and brings it back to us. And we're using the same water that we've always been using. You and I can't survive, but just a matter of a couple of days without it, we need it every single day. And that's a gift from him. Every breath you take is his every Water that you... A bit of water that you drink into your body is a gift from him. You, you inhabit a body that he created. For just a second, if you just put out your... I know you, some of you holding your Bibles. Just set it there in your lap and look at your hands, okay? Don't look at the preacher for just a second. I know, some of you do that when the preacher gets long-winded. You start looking at things, weird things. Okay, this is your opportunity to do that, okay? Look now, study your fingerprints for just a second. If you can get real close, I want you to think about the fact that you have a unique set of fingerprints like... No one else's, not just in this world, but ever, that God carved those fingerprints out while you were in your mother's womb, a unique creation, unlike any other, this, these, fingerprints are, are a sign of your identity, but the sign of the authorship. But just, just move on down from your, your fingerprints now to your hands. Think about what your hands do in your lifetime, about how they will hold the people you love, how they will build the things that they are important to you, how that they will dress you and feed you and be a, with you in, in the ideal situation for all of your life doing those things just seemingly at a thought. God gave you your hands and Arms, your muscular, you know, there are organs right now functioning that have been functioning your whole life. You've never given a single thought to until one of them stops functioning properly. You see, God, God gave you this body that Paul calls a tent, the, the m- miraculous, beautiful creation that it is. And he gave that to each and every one of us as a gift from him. Every heartbeat. If you want to take now your hand and put it over your heart, go ahead. We're not going to say in the Pledge of Allegiance, just, uh, I just want you to feel your heartbeat, okay? I want you to, you know how, you know, sometimes you can feel your heartbeat go just a little bit faster when you, you know, pull through and Chick-fil-A drive through and you just start to get that little bit of excitement, okay? But you, I don't know, can you feel it? If you've got your children next to you, I know some of them are in children's training, but if you've got your children next to you, we put, place your hand on your child's heart. And just, just consider, That every single heartbeat that you are endowed with and given is a gift? If you don't believe that's true, just ask Josh Oakley. You understand that every single heartbeat, every single breath you take, every part of your body is a gift. Your very thoughts are are a testament to the mind of God. You know, this is an amazing thought. I'm having my thoughts, and I'm telling you my thoughts, and then as those thoughts come out, you hear them, and that makes you think your thoughts. So right now, there's 700-ish other thoughts going on right now, and that's happening independently. All of those thoughts are happening because synapses are firing. Your mind is the greatest gift that God's given you, and some of us hardly ever use it, but it's a gift. To be used to glorify God. You see, someone once said that our fingerprints, that God's fingerprints are all over our world. And that is not true at all. Don't you believe it for a second? It's actually the reverse. It's our fingerprints all over his world. He created it all. Knowing this, we understand this very simple concept that we are entrusted with his Blessings. If you're following along in your Bible, I hope that you are on page 581. If you'd like to go to the Old Testament, turn to Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, a psalm of David. A well-known psalm, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Though it all belongs to him, though it all comes from him, he entrusts it all to us. So everything that we have is not really yours, but his. And yet, it's in our hands. He's entrusted it to us. For those of you with children in the audience, if you placed your hand upon their heart, I hope you felt that deep, abiding pressure. That God has placed this infant, this baby, this toddler into your hands. That your decisions, the things that you do, the example that you set, the decision, decisions you make, all will impact that child. That's stewardship. The child, of course, belongs to him, but he's put it, he or she, into your hands to be raised Think about for just a moment your wealth, whatever amount of wealth you have. Perhaps you are a person that just has like uh, your uh, uh, balance on your checking account is sort of like the condition you feel in in life. It's about nine dollars and eleven cents, nine one one. Okay. Maybe you think ah you can talk about wealth management. I have any wealth to manage? Not true. Not true. God's given you some to manage, but it's up to you to manage it wisely. Maybe you have multiple millions of dollars and God has given that to you to manage to be a blessing, not only to uh, to be a blessing to God, but to the kingdom of God and all the good that can be. Done with it. It's it's not your wealth, however much it is. It's His wealth. Think about your job, what what it is you do for a living. Now, maybe you're in a temporary, maybe you're just starting out, but maybe you found your calling and your vocation. Did you ever think that God, there was a time in history when God looked at the world and decided it was time, He needed one of you. And so He created you with your unique skills and abilities and and the way you see the world. That That's something that you bring. Don't just think of your job as a job, but think of it as a way to honor the Lord in all that you do. And it applies to so many other things. Your home, your car, your stuff, your abilities, your talents. We just go on and on, but all of it comes from God. And every single thing that we have comes from His hands. Now, we understand that. we got to understand that this lays upon us, as the scripture says, to whom much is given, much is expected. That's what stewardships, stewards are. They are managers and caretakers of his blessings. Now, uh, we, we might kind of step back and say, whoa, 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 I didn't ask for any of this. Why is God laying this response? Listen, we understand this as human beings. When we entrust someone with something that's ours, that entrusting leads us to some expectations. Let's think of some human examples of this. Just think about it. When you take your car to the mechanic. Uh, years ago, I had a, a mechanic who did a, a, a great job. His name is Bob Dulahary. And and Bob is no longer in business, but I always took my vehicles to Bob because Bob always did a good job he always did a thorough job but he never did more than was needed and he never charged me more than was necessary one time i went i took it in and man i thought that the 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 old explorer was going to need a complete overhaul and it ended up being a bad spark plug now, you see, in that moment, Bob could have really taken me to the cleaners. He could have said, oh, yeah, we have to do this whole thing. We have to change out the Johnson rods and going to have to with that the manifold. And, you know, I, clearly I'm a mechanic and I speak the terminology. And he could have really just taken me for a ride, but he didn't. And so he earned my trust. And so we take our car to the mechanic. We expect it returned and repaired and running and what happens if we have the opposite happen, right? We got a, we got a car tr- trouble or something, we take it in the mechanic, it seems a little on the shady side, and we come back the bill's like twice as much. You know, you take it over to, to Jiffy Lube or something, you go in for an oil change, and they say, yeah, you're going to need a full engine overall. We can do that for $4,000, okay? Yeah, you know, okay, you're going to say, Nah, I'm not paying it, number one. And number two, I'm not taking it back. And number three, I'm going to tell everyone that I know that you're ripping people off. You see, they abuse their trust. So when you entrust something to someone, it comes with a set of expectations. Now, that's in the big things. That's also in the small things. Even when you're going through the drive-thru and you don't have much time and you want to try to get a a good meal, a fair price, a really good deal that's going to get you through there real quick, you have a choice. You have a choice. You can go to, you know, McDonald's. they got like two people working the restaurant. You know, there's there's three cars. It takes you half an hour to get to the drive-thru. But there's another place. There's another, it's the promised land. And they'll get you, and it might have 42 cars out in the drive through, but they'll get you through in two and a half minutes. Now, what did they do there? You entrusted to them your time, you entrusted to them your money. And with that came some expectations. And so now, once you've been to the promised land, you look around and you're like, man, these other places need to learn, don't they? See, that's an example of good stewardship and bad stewardship. When you entrust someone with something, it comes with a set of expectations. If you meet those expectations, you'll be rewarded with more. If you miss those expectations, you'll surely miss the opportunities for future. Think about your children. For just a second, you and want to go out on a date, and you need to hire a babysitter, and you're not sure who you can trust. I mean, it's not just anybody, and pretty much their whole lives they've been around you. But you want somebody who's who the kids like, who's trustworthy, who's honest. You know that you're not, not going to uh, give them to eat all sorts of things that they shouldn't have, and keep them up way late. But they're going to take care of them as you would like them to be taken care of, so would you get home at the end of the night with your with your spouse if you're having a wonderful evening, the children are safely tucked away in their bed, everything's quiet, everything's put up, everything's clean, you're going to hire that babysitter again, aren't you? I'm looking over at Michelle because uh, her daughter, or one of her daughters, uh, Chloe, when Chloe was a teenager, you know, Christy and I had to go through this experience, and, and so we let Chloe Clark watch our... Um, Watch our Tyler and Grace, and man, when we got back, the ch- the kids were almost sad that we were back. <laughs> they they were so in love with Chloe. She played with them. She did things with them. She had them ready for bed. She she had fed them what we she had done everything. Don't you know that we kept Chloe's number on speed dial? Why? Because she was a good steward. You see, when you entrust someone with something and they do well with it, oh, they'll get more opportunities to be a good steward. But if they abuse your trust, they will lose your trust. Now, I, I spent several minutes there on talking about stewardship to, to explain something that we understand. What Paul wrote, if you want to turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter four, two, he said this. Chapter 4, we were in verse 7. We're going to go up five verses to verse 2. This is what he says, and this is important for us to understand. Moreover, it is required that those who have been given a trust. In fact, I, I just want you guys, if you if you don't mind, I know several of you are turned there, but if you'll read those yellow words on the screen, because I want us to get this. Moreover, it is required that those who have been given a trust trust must prove faithful. Yeah, I understand it's all from God. Yeah, yeah, I know it's innocent. But when we understand that that God gives you and trusts you with those things, and has some expectations of being faithful with what He's entrusted you, it changes. I mean, radically changes everything. When you get biblical stewardship, it will change your marriage. You'll be an infinitely better husband or wife. It will change your parenting as a father or mother. It will make you infinitely better with your money. Managing it wisely in a way that pleases and honors God. Your relationships, the people in your life have been given to you from God. Your work, it changes everything. You see, when you and I entrust someone with something, we have an expectation that those to whom we have entrusted will be faithful. Whether it's big things like your car, your children, or little things like going to the drive through we expect those whom we trust to be faithful. So does God. So does God. He has the exact same expectations of faithfulness. So for the next several weeks, we're going to be focusing on the specific gifts that God gives all of us and help us to be thinking as stewardships, not in the sense of, oh, we're raising money. No, that's not not what it's about. In the sense of understanding it all comes from God and he's put it in our hands to manage well. Today, I want to talk about the first of these gifts and this one is just like air that you can take for granted, that being faithful with your time. And so we, in in theory, we all have the same amount of time: 168 hours per week, 24 hours a day. But yet, because that process repeats again and again and again, we can assume that we'll always have it; that we'll never run out. The Bible speaks of this this first gift. In the very beginning, the very first words of Scripture, what are the first three words of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1? You can say them. In the beginning. You see, even as Scripture starts, Scripture is reminding us that God is good, and he gives good gifts. And though God is outside of time, he is infinite in nature, he created time for a reason. Psalm 139, verse 16, if you're following along, a beautiful, powerful song that we're not going to read the entirety of. The psalmist said specifically, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be all of them. Were written. you ever you ever think about that, and I don't think it was a physical book that you know God's got you with you know thirty one thousand days or something like that, but but I think it's a reminder that God has a plan and a purpose with the time you have. My question is, do you are you thinking about the time that you have? God was there before your time, God's here during your time, and God's going to be here long after your time runs. Out. My question is, what are you going to do with the time that he gives you? Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 5. We're looking at a verse. It's just a few pages over from 1 Corinthians, page 1,254. Ephesians chapter 5, the verse that was read for us by James. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. It's important to understand that God's given us the gift of the time that we have. And if we don't appreciate it, we will never fully, truly be able to steward it well. Because time is a finite gift from an infinite God we, you and I, are called to make the best use of the time. There's a science fiction movie. It's kind of a, a, a strange movie. It's called In Time. The concept of it is pretty intriguing to me. In the movie, all of the characters wear on their left or right forearm a clock, digital, that is constantly counting down. And and in this wor- uh, fiction world, the clock is continually counting down. And those who are very wealthy can afford to buy more time. And those who can't and those who go to work and, and, and uh, people who struggle often run out of time more quickly. But the, 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 the movie is weird. The premise of it got me to thinking. If that were true, if you and I could look at our our forearm and see exactly how much time if instead like my watch this morning clicks ticks forward moves forward elapses time what if the what if the watch were counting down and it couldn't be changed how would that change how you live what, what ways would that change the way you currently live? Would you, would you stay up all night and sleep the day away if your clock was counting down? Ooh, would you stay up for hours binge-watching Netflix or playing video games, ever aware that the clock was counting down? Would you spend a decade... In school, just staying in school to stay in school with no marketable skills, no goal to achieve. Would you just kind of waste your time piddling life away? Would you ever again use the word someday? Maybe I'll, perhaps. Would you would you spend an inordinate amount of time with your phone out, if I can get it out, your phone out, arguing with friends and strangers alike on Facebook, proving that you're right. If the clock was counting down, maybe we'd be a little more mindful. The time is a gift, but our time is running out. Maybe it would change how we lived. God's word reminds us of this. Actually, before Ephesians chapter 5, the psalmist said it this way. Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You see, for all of us, time is running out. Time is wasting away. As sands through the hourglass, these are the sermons of our life. The irony is, and some of you got that joke, but uh, there is a a soap opera that's been running for decades, and this is the symbol of it. The irony of people wasting their lives away watching a soap opera on television while they warn you that your life is slipping away. (laughs) No wonder you guys get antsy when the sermon goes on. You're running out of time. Since time is running out, let me give you three ways that we can be more mindful and, as Paul wrote, live a life of wisdom because the days are evil. The first is wise people waste little time. There's a guy by the name of Harvey McKay that uh, I was able to find his, this quote. I think it is originally from him. He said, time is free, but it's priceless. You can't own it, you can only use it. You can't save it, you can only spend it. But once it's gone, you can never, ever get it back. The average human lifespan, if you number our days like the psalmist told us to, if, if an average life of about 80 years amounts to about 29 Thousand days and instantly right at the right at the outset, you know, you're going to lose about nine thousand of those days to sleep. So you and I have twenty thousand days on average. Of course, we understand some people get far, far less and a few lucky souls get just a little bit more. But on average, you and I have twenty thousand days. Sounds like a lot. Twenty thousand. But to put it in perspective, twenty thousand seconds so that's a couple of hours 20,000 minutes is a couple of weeks when we when we put that in perspective it goes by like that it's just here and gone so quickly like Chick-fil-a on Saturday night about 930 we are running out of time the sands are going through the hourglass hourglass because time is short, we can't waste it. And that is why prudent people prioritize their time. You see, someone may have told you that you can do anything and everything you want, and that's a lie. Now, you can, I, I do believe you can do many things, but you can't do everything. There's not enough time. There is not enough time for you to do it all. We said you and I have about 20,000 days. you know how many Jesus had? Jesus had about 12,045 days to change the world. He had far less time than you and I have. Don't you know that there were places that people wanted Jesus to go where he was not willing to go because he didn't have the time? There were people, for sure, no doubt that needed to be healed, that Jesus didn't go to and healed because he didn't have the time to heal everybody, and that wasn't what he was called to do. Jesus, you see, had a limited amount of time, and he knew it. And think about what he spent all of his time doing, so much of his time. He was spending up late at night praying to his Father, talking to his Father, seeking the will and the heart of the Father. And then during the day, he was doing the will of the Father. Jesus is such a wonderful example. Jesus, of all people, certainly had to prioritize his time. Now, if you're familiar with Jesus' best well-known sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking about the subject uh, directly about worry, about fretting away. And when he talks about being anxious and, and not to worry, not to get caught up in the things of the world, in verse 33, this is on page 1041, Jesus says this, do not worry about these things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And that sounds wonderful. Six, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you, singing Alleluia. Alleluia. And that sounds really good. And that's something you expect the preacher to say. But let me tell you, that is hard. That is harder than it sounds. Now, I, I know somebody had the heat up earlier, so they've already got you sweating a little bit. But let me let the, let the preacher let you switch, sweat it out just a little bit more, okay? Because here's what that means. Sometimes you hear people say, well, I, I, we, we don't have time for church, but yet we got all weekend long for a ball game, a tournament. We are we going to fill our entire weekend with all sorts of activities. I just don't have time for church. So, you're setting a priority there. I got no time to read my Bible, and and I know the sermon. I mean, I'll hear several scriptures in there. I'm just going to let the preach do my Bible study for me this week. I got no time to read my Bible, but I got all the time in the world to finish the next season of Gilmore Girls. I got all the time in the world to, to watch that new movie, uh, to, to play those video games just all night long. I got all the time in the world. And his righteousness. Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying going to movies is bad. I'm not saying don't have a Netflix account. I'm saying you got to think about where your priorities are. I got no time to pray. You know, it's just been the whole week. The last time I prayed was last Sunday and somebody else led that for me. I got I got no time to pray, but oh man, I got to tell you some gossip. Did you hear about what happened on the youth group trip? Can you believe that kid? I got See, we got all the time in the world for idle chit-chat, but we can't make time to talk to our Father. And all these things shall be added unto you. We got no time to to connect with people. To actually go to somebody's home or invite someone into our home. We just couldn't do it. We're just too busy. We got but you got all the time in the world to sit in a chair and connect via screen and fill yourself with anxiety and fear of missing out and jealousy and oh I just can't believe they posted that. You got all the time in the world to do that. But no time to connect face to face, kneecap to kneecap with souls. Ah, the preacher's doing the cha-cha on your toes this morning, isn't he? You see, we say prioritizing our time is good. We like Matthew Matthew 6.33 and we can sing it so well. That's not the question. The question is, are you doing it? Are you living it? You see, the big lie is I don't have the time. False. As the great theologian Dwight Schrute would say, you have the time. You didn't make the time. People often say, I can't. What they really need to say is, I won't. you got to choose. And that's okay. You, Jesus, there were times when Jesus said, no. There were times when Jesus said, I'm not going to. I won't. Why? Because he was on a mission. you got to choose to do what matters most. And finally, smart people have to savor their time. Our world is increasingly faster and faster. I found out just a few weeks ago. Did on Amazon Prime, there are some things, did you know this? There are some things where it's no longer two-day shipping. Two-day shipping, that's, oh, that's so 2015. Two-day shipping is ancient history. Now you can get it the next day. I was pulling up something on my phone, I needed something. You can have it tomorrow. Wow. That's amazing, except it won't be amazing very long. Eventually we'll get tired of waiting for that. Soon it'll be just hours away. There'll be a little drone. You'll be going, where is it? Where is it? I, you know, some of you know I'm an Apple fan. I like the watches and the, and the phones and the iPads and all of that stuff. So I always watch their Worldwide Developers Conference, and it's always kind of funny the things that they talk about. And they were talking about the new iPad. And this is, I kid you not, this is one of the lines from it. They said, the new iPad has increased efficiency. The latency speed has moved from 60 milliseconds. Now, if you don't know, latency speed is the moment from when you touch the screen to when the phone actually or iPad reacts, right? That's that, that moment there, that is 60 milliseconds. But no longer with the new iPad. It's moved from 60 seconds to 30 milliseconds. Oh, man, I got time for coffee now. Wonderful. The world's going faster and faster. And how does this affect us? It affects us in a lot of ways. I'll give you a couple of examples. Number one, people don't read anymore. They scam. People don't have time for email anymore. We were in this room. There's a, there a young lady. I won't call her out by name. But she had like 10,000 unread emails. People don't read anymore. Why? Because the world's moving too fast. I ain't got time to check my email. I mean, who do you, know, who do you think I am? I mean, I don't have time to read your fiddly little email. We scan things. I send people text messages. They never replied. Just assume that they died. <laughs> we listen to podcasts at double speed. Some of you will get the sermon and they're like, man, I don't have time to hear 35 minutes of a sermon. I need that, baby. Put that on double speed to get the espresso. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And just as you were listening to it, like <laughs> good luck listening to that at double speed. See, the world's moving faster and faster. And, and and though that makes us more efficient, there's something missing. There's something missing from our world that we've lost. And I'm not sure we've got the wisdom to get it back. We need to take the time to stop and slow down. If you're listening to the podcast right now, just put it on half speed. Take it easy. The faster and faster the we go, the more we miss out on savoring and enjoying life. Maybe we can learn a little lesson from my grandma. This is my grandmother's house. It's on a street here in town in an older neighborhood. And that house is full of so many memories. In that front room was a chair. We'd sit and talk with grandma in the kitchen is a small little kitchen that used to be basically filled with a table where we'd play board games. And after grandma, who by the way does not live in this house anymore, her house is in heaven. But the people who bought that house did a wonderful job. They remodeled it, they put the new windows in it, they did some landscaping, they pulled out some old trees, they did all the right things. But the other day I went by it, And I thought, this is so indicative of where we are in the world. There's one thing missing from that house that I will always remember. It was a red, wooden porch swing with two chains on either end. And it was on the right side of the porch there. And it was hanging from two hooks in the ceiling. And in the evening, probably a summer evening... We would go out there with grandma and she would have her Pepsi with ice cubes in it. And it was just a time to sit and to sit in that porch swing back and forth. And the old rusty chains would creak against the hooks. I wish I had appreciated those moments because we don't have many front porch swings anymore. Look at our homes. Nobody, nobody wants to even come to the door anymore. What happens when people ring the doorbell? All right, who's selling something? You know, people are going into hiding. They don't want, nobody, want, nobody wants to come out on the porch anymore. A porch swing was my wise grandmother's way of savoring life, of enjoying and, and the moments with her grandchildren, knowing that they would not always be children. And and speaking across the street to her neighbor, knowing that she wouldn't always have a neighbor. She was savoring the time. The lesson of the porch swing is this, that life to you and I is a gift. And it's meant to be lived and enjoyed. And we say that sounds good, Grandma, but the world's going faster and faster, and so we we see a student go to a concert, their favorite musician playing their favorite song, and what are they doing? They're not, they're not sitting, enjoying, and listening to the concert and see the experience. What are they doing? They're making a, a, a feed for their Instagram that nobody on their Instagram cares about. They're missing the moment. We're filming our own lives. We can't go to the concert and even experience the music anymore. It's the dad who works all the time to get more money and more promotion and more stuff and all the stuff for his family, and he misses out on life with his children. He doesn't get that time back. It's the mom who cannot sit down on the floor and play with her children without creating a perfectly lighted picture to post on social media. Hashtag great mom. It is savoring life and enjoying life. It is a family sitting at a table. And they are right next to each other, but they might as well be a million miles away. In total silence, all together and yet all alone staring at their screens. We've lost the ability to savor life. It's the retiree who's saved and saved and saved and he has so much money in his nest egg and he refuses to spend it and enjoy it with his family. To, to be able to write a check to bless his kids or his grandkids and say, enjoy life and be happy and, and understand this is a gift from God. Turn to 1 Timothy 6.17 and then we'll close. As for the rich in this present age, teach them not to be haughty. Or put their hope in riches, on the uncertainty of riches. But to put their hope on God. And catch this, who richly provides everything for us to enjoy. Time is a gift. Life is a gift. And as you can tell, my time has run out. And you know that's true for me. But it's true for you too. Your time is running out. You've got less now than you've ever had. So, what are you doing with the time you have left? My question for you as we close this morning is this Are you ready for the end of time? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 and 28 says there's two things going to happen one, either you're going to die and after that face the judgment, or two, Jesus is going to return. The hourglass will go empty, and then it's lights out. My question is, are you ready for that moment? Because if you're not ready, then you better get ready, because you're running out of time. One of two things are going to happen, either the end of your time or the end of all time, But the point is not which will happen first. The point is, are you ready for either of those two things to happen? This morning, if you are not ready, I want to beg you and plead with you. Please come to Jesus. Give your heart to him. Give your life to him. Obey the gospel by believing and being baptized with him for the forgiveness of your sins. And begin walking with him. Because if you, I don't know how many sermons you're waiting for, but there is no time like the present. In fact, maybe that's why we call it the present, because it's a gift. God's given you this moment. If you are not in Christ, what else can I say? That's the greatest gift he gave, and the time is now. I know we are out of time, but all of us are running out of time. And if you're not ready, then get ready now. Please stand. Please come forward. If you have a need, as together we stand and sing.